recorded live. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Lost Faith Cast, a discussion about religion and issues of faith in the TV show Lost. My name is Big O, and I'll be the uh, the host for this discussion, the moderator, if you will. And I'm also joined by uh, podcasters the Josh Meister and Cliff Ravenscraft. And we are the three of us are talking to Christian Pyatt. Did I pronounce that right? You got it. All right, Christian Pyatt, who is the author of a book entitled Lost, A Search for Meaning, which is uh, available from Chalice Press and Amazon.com and all over the place. And so we're going to be talking about his book and, uh, and then move on to a general discussion about, uh, about the topic of faith and religion and loss. I'm really excited about it. And before we dive into that, I just wanted to give, since this is a, a joint podcast, I want to give each of us podcasters a chance to just talk about what's, what's going on and any news announcements kind of things that uh, we, we have going. Um, Josh, why don't we start with you? I see that you've come back from the long hiatus. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was I was kind of taking a little break uh, from podcasting during the hiatus for for the most part. Uh, we did that uh, Lost Theory Cast, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, and right now I'm kind of back to my regular schedule. At least that's the plan. Um, every every week I, I'll try to to get up an episode of my podcast. Um, some sometime before the the next episode comes out, kind of a re, rehash of the the episode that we just saw and possibly some spoilers and things like that about the upcoming show. Great. And uh, one of the things that I, I really liked that you put together was that uh, breakdown of the potential uh, sides of the others, you know, whose side they're on, Juliet versus Ben and that kind of thing. And, yeah, uh, I have a, a chart uh, on on my, my blog, um, and I guess we can all just give the addresses of our, of our websites. Um, Mine is yep, the Lostmeister, uh, the Lostmeister.blogspot.com, and you can find um, pretty much all of my my podcasts. I've I've got um, the information from the podcast is right there on my blog, and and one of the things I've got on the blog, like Bigo was mentioning, is uh, is a a chart um, that I kind of came up with during the hiatus uh, of some possible factions be, uh, between the others. Um, and I, I kind of found a lot of evidences in, in the show up to that point um, that there might be two sides, maybe like a Ben and a Juliet side. So I kind of hashed it out that way. Um, I'm not so sure I really believe in that, that, that there's necessarily a Ben side and a Juliet side anymore after seeing the most recent episode. But it yeah, I was, was going to ask how, how uh, Not in Portland changed that. Yeah, well, I'm I'm still kind of thinking it through, but I I'm not entirely sure that it's it's a Juliet versus Ben um set of factions. Um I, another couple of things, um for example, uh, there was a, a a an interview recently with Michael Emerson on Comic News Insider and he it, at least according to to Michael Emerson who plays Ben he says that this other faction of the other that exists is not a spin-off of Ben's group. So that makes me think that maybe, you know, I, I would guess that Juliet's faction, if there was one, would be considered a spin-off. So I'm not right. so sure I necessarily believe in that, in the the Juliet versus Ben factions anymore, but it's kind of interesting to look through it anyway. Sure. And something tells me that we're going to get um, 
a lot more information about the others this season, so I'm sure Absolutely. you'll be updating that document as as uh, the season progresses. So. Yep. Cool. All right, all right uh, Cliff, what do you got going on? I was real excited to hear your announcement that you're podcasting daily now. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm very excited about it myself. I was a little nervous to announce it. I had been tossing it around in my head, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, if I say the word daily, I'm gonna. that's just going to put me in the coffin of the podcasting fadeaways. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I've actually enjoyed it, and, in fact, it, I, I sit there and I think, thought to myself, will I ever have enough to talk about? And I'll finish doing a podcast at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'll put it up in the feed, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm thinking, oh, man, I wish I could podcast about this tonight when I get home and put it out there. But yeah. I have to wait until the next morning. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my crazy life is podcasted daily now, Monday through Friday, and occasionally there'll be some stuff thrown in there in the weekend. Uh, so that's going pretty well. And, of course, uh, the, the big, huge thing that's going on right now for us, especially as it relates to uh, the people who are listening to this, uh, Lost fans, we are now podcasting uh, twice a week for the Weekly Lost podcast. We do our initial reactions uh, immediately following the episode. Stephanie and I record that. And that's up first thing. Uh, actually, it's, it's up before people in California actually view the episode. So we, we like getting that out there immediately. It's usually 20 to 30 minutes long. And then the the big huge thing is is what we started last night, the first of 16 back-to-back, 100% pure, full pre-production, pre-sitting my butt down in front of a computer, reading forms for hours and hours, putting together very detailed content uh, like I did in the old days of GSPN. And now I'm bringing a full show. But we're only, not only are we bringing back the full format of all the details and Easter eggs and all that stuff, but we're doing it live in front of an Internet audience. And last night we had 65 people here on <laughs> talk show. Sweet. And that's it, great. It was awesome. And then after that, uh, the people wouldn't leave, and, and we stayed on for another two hours and did a My Crazy Life to follow it. So it, it was pretty awesome. And then the, one last thing I'll mention, and then I'll shut up. Uh, my wife just started the very first ever Grey's Anatomy fan <laughs> podcast. Cool. And so you you can check out all of our shows. We have a total of seven podcasts that I produce now. Uh, we do a minimum of nine podcast episodes per week. Sometimes we do as many as 15 or 16. And uh, you can check out all of our podcasts, all of our feeds. Everything can be found at generallyspeakingpodcast.com. All right. That's exciting stuff, man. I I, uh, I miss those old, uh, you know, heavily produced days of your show, so I'm glad you're getting, are able to get back to that. I, you know, I can, I'm, as a podcaster, I know how much time that takes to put all that together, so it's cool that you've been able to get yourself to a point to be able to, to return to that. That's exciting. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, I'm, Excited to get into the interview, um, so I won't take up too much time, but just a couple notes about what my show is doing. You can find my show at crankyfanatic.com. That's my last podcast. And I've also got a Heroes podcast at crankyhero.com. And um, my big news, I'm really excited about this uh, for my last show, is uh, I was just recently contacted by Jorge Garcia, and and this isn't any kind of joke or anything like like for real. Jorge, Jorge Garcia contacted me. He wants to be on my show for an interview, and 
he he has a there's a Hurley centric episode coming up on the 28th of February, and I'm going to interview him um, shortly after that uh, episode airs. So the tentative date is the 3rd of March, that, that Saturday right after the show, but that's tentative, it's not set for sure. So to uh, lead up to that, um, I'm going to hold a contest, and I'm not, um, I'm not ready to announce the details of the contest yet, but the prize will be the, the winner of the contest will get to join us, um, join me and Jorge Garcia for a few minutes in, in the interview. So, um, so go to crankyfanatic.com and click on the button there to subscribe to my sh- podcast, and I'll be releasing uh, details about the contest, how to enter, and, and all that fun stuff. Cool. Yeah, so I'm I'm stoked about that. And all right, so let's talk to Christian. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. We've been uh, bouncing back and forth in email forever, trying to plan this and find a good time that we could all sit down. So I'm glad it finally worked. Why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself, about about your book, and why you wrote the book, and and all that. Okay. Well. I appreciate you guys having me on today. I know uh, for those guys on the West Coast, it's a little early, but uh, we made it work. But uh, basically, uh, let's see, about me. Uh, I'm a uh, writer, uh, also work in the nonprofit sector. I do a lot of grant writing and stuff for uh, various nonprofits around the country. Uh, as far as my, my writing piece, I do a uh, newspaper column for uh, – a newspaper called the Pueblo Chieftain. I do a weekly uh, religion column for them. It's a regional newspaper here in southern Colorado where I live. Um, I've started uh, a column for a magazine called Disciples World Magazine uh, where basically I take a young adult uh, perspective on faith, which you know makes me feel a little bit better at 35 that they still consider me a young adult, but uh, <laughs> I'll take what I can get. <laughs> You know, compared to most of the most of the folks who are in uh, in ministry, I guess uh, you know they consider me young, so it's all relative. But uh, right, I'll right. take it. Uh, as far as the books, uh, the book goes, um, Chalice Press is a publish is a publisher that's connected to uh, the denomination that my wife and I are are connected to, which is the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Um, Kind of like Methodist, if uh, let's see, if the Methodists and the uh, United Church of Christ had a baby, it might be disciples. <laughs> That'd be kind of weird, but anyway, um, pretty uh, pretty open-minded, pretty progressive, uh, pretty progressive denomination, and they're really interested in getting things out there for people that is uh, that are are thoughtful and thought-provoking, that are well-researched, and that aren't particularly focused on promoting just a certain point of view, but rather uh, are emphasize uh, individual thought and study, group thought and study, uh, so, so people arrive at their own conclusions. But it's basically to uh, the, the purpose of this book and the series of books uh, that they've done on faith and culture is to get people thinking uh, about theology in a different way, that it's not that church is over here or religion is over here and the rest of the world is over there, uh, that the two can uh, can merge in interesting ways and that uh, it doesn't have to be a completely compartmentalized part of your life. Um, this book, basically, I actually got approached by the publisher 
it's, it's kind of a funny story, actually, because uh, I submitted a proposal for a different book, and they said no. Mm. Uh, and they said, but what about something like this? And, and they, you know, they talked to me about this series that they had on faith and culture, and I got really interested. Uh, and uh, you know, the fact that they hadn't done one on Lost yet. They've done one on uh, the Da Vinci Code. They did one on The Matrix. Uh, which are, are you know both very interesting, but I thought Lost had just some of the richest mythology and, and theological sure. of yeah. any of those. So I jumped on it, and uh, I thought it was a great opportunity. Um, beyond that, uh, actually, the reason we're here in Southern Colorado, uh, my wife Amy Pyatt, uh, she went to seminary in Texas, and then we came here, and she started a new church. Uh, and I'm a musician, and I help her out. I do everything from. Uh, doing music and the services to uh, unclogging toilets, and uh, <laughs> that's that's what a pastor spouse does, you know. That's and uh, <laughs> and uh, so we moved here three years ago, and helped I helped her start this church, and then she and I just wrote a book together, and it's going to be out this summer, called My Space to Sacred Space: God for a New Generation, and it's about uh, specifically young adult. Um, young adult culture and their theology and how it's unique, uh, how they're unique socially and theologically from any other, uh, any other generation that's really come along in American history. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. So how long ago did you start writing the book and like, does it cover all the way up to the end of season two or where did it uh, fall? Yeah, it does. Uh, I started writing it uh, late last summer uh, well, actually, no, I'm sorry. I guess I wrote it um, primarily during uh, last summer, and then uh, it got released in November. So it, it does, I was writing it as the second season was progressing. So I had yeah. to kind of leave some spaces, and then as each episode completed, I would go in and kind of fill that in, because basically they wanted the, the book in their hands about two weeks after the show concluded its second season. So yeah, that, makes, I, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you know, they wanted it to be as relevant as possible, as timely as possible, and of course, even by the time it came out, they had already had several episodes that had aired in the third season, so, um, you know, something like this to be relevant has to really be be, be put out as quickly as possible, but still with uh, some quality research and everything. So, I wrote it as the second season was going along, and then and then we, we uh, put it to the press right after the second season concluded. Cool. Yeah, so I've I've had a chance to to flip through the book and um, you know it's got some really thought provoking things in there. I like how um, at the end of the sections, you know, you you list some questions and points so that you can the reader can just kind of ponder about the meaning of of the topics that you're covering. Um, so so tell me, you know, if for the average person listening to this, uh, um, you know, average Joe person. Why would they want to buy your book, and what what would they expect to to get out of it? Well, and that that's a good question because I don't want people to be confused about the book. Uh, you know, the 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 only uh, criticisms I've had of it have been uh, from people who are the super hardcore Lost fans who really have no interest in the religious piece at all. And if sure. you're really not interested in theology, this book is probably not going to be your favorite because it is a you know it is a book put out by a religious press and uh you know it's a theological perspective for sure um but uh as far as as is who would be interested i think anybody who first of all is is fairly open to uh just the 
the theological implications of the show and culture, whether you're, you know, whether you are a person of faith or not. Uh, you, I think you can even objectively look at it and find it interesting because I go into a lot of the mythology and, and the history of, of how the church came to believe what they believe. Because um, a lot of people seem to think that the, you know, that our, that uh, Western, you know, contemporary Western belief just kind of dropped out of the sky. And the reality is that, you know, if you don't understand how ancient Persian religion and Ethiopian religion and mysticism, Gnosticism, and all these other uh, cultures, even, you know, mystical sects of Judaism and such, influence the things that we now believe. Uh, for example, like how uh, the parallels between uh, the ancient uh, Code of Hammurabi and the current, yeah, you know, the, the the Ten Commandments as we know them today. Uh, and yeah. so we try to draw some connections like that for people to get them to think about, wow, you know, what, why do I believe what I believe? And uh, yeah, those are the kinds of questions that are brought up in the show too. So, you know, we just kind of take the larger questions that are raised in the show. Why are we here? Uh, what, you know, what are we doing? What's our purpose? What's our meaning? You know, and and uh, kind of expand those to our own lives. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good idea. Um, you know, I think a, a good example of of that kind of thing uh, is you, you mentioned before the the Da Vinci Code, and you know, a book like that comes out, and immediately a lot of Christians are angry about it, <clears throat> and. And for some people reading it, it was like a trial of their faith, you know, like it, like earth-shattering and shaking people up. And, and you know, it, it wasn't at all for me when I read it, and I think that's because, you know, I've done some study about the history of where all this stuff came from. And if you, you know, if you understand, uh, the, more, the more that you learn about, about your own belief and, and the history of it and where it came from, you know, the more the more able you'll be to to handle things like that. When someone starts saying stuff like, "Well, there's other gospels out there that that you've never read," you know, well, is that historically true or not? And you know, you read the history and you can find out if that actually is true. So that when you see it in some movie, it doesn't you know shatter your faith or whatever. So yeah, and if a movie or a fiction book is rocking your your faith world, I mean, you probably want to spend some time reflecting, you know. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think for some people, any kind of questions actually create sort of a house of cards. And, and, you know, that was a, that's something that I can relate to. I I actually grew up, uh, in a, in a much more, uh, traditional, um, you know, Baptist faith. And, uh, I got into a lot of trouble actually for asking questions and actually I ended up leaving the church and was asked to leave. I like to joke that I was the first one to be excommunicated from the Baptist church, (laughs) but yeah, it was basically asking questions, and uh, for some people that's very threatening. So, you know, if, if someone really doesn't want their faith to be challenged, they probably wouldn't enjoy this book very much. But if they're really interested in dialoguing with people of different faiths and of different perspectives and everything and kind of enriching their, their mythological and historical understanding of, of the Christian faith in particular, I think they'd enjoy the book. Yeah, I, I think you did a really good job in the book. I mean, it's, it's obvious, it's, it's very clear reading it that you're coming from uh, a Christian perspective, but but I think you did a great job not, you know, not being overly preachy and not, you know, alienating other people that might have different points of view from, from your own. So so compliments there. I think you did a good job with that. Well, thanks. Um, yeah. um, Josh and Cliff, did you have any uh, questions for Christian before we move on? Um. 
No, I, I don't think so. I, I just wanted to reiterate the same thing that Big O just mentioned. I, I thought uh, that you did a very good job of kind of um, try, trying to take uh, an, an objective view and, and uh, you know, it, it wasn't too preachy. And I know that's probably the first thing that people think when they hear about a book that, uh, you know, it has a topic of religion. They're like, oh, great. Another person trying to ram their religion down my throat, but I, I thought you actually did a very good job. I really liked um, the chapters where you know where, where you talk a lot about the history of, uh, of of religion, and I guess really that's kind of a, a big focus in the book. You, um, one of the things that uh, that I found interesting is that um, just each each book kind of starts out, or sorry, each chapter of the book kind of starts out talking about some mythological or theological aspect of, of loss. And then it's really interesting how you kind of, uh, you know, take a part of the chapter and kind of go into, here, here's how this connects to theology. And, uh, and I thought that was really interesting. I think you did a, a really good job of kind of tying the two together. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, I, 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 don't have any, I don't have any questions myself, but I just want to say also that, uh, I, I also was once a pastor and recently resigned uh, so that I could focus on ministry and podcasting full-time uh, outside of my job. But anyway, one of the things that, that I think is, is critical for Christians today, and I think that your book portrays this in, in the way, in, especially in some of the things you've just said to highlight, that, that it's important for Christians today to get out and live within the world uh, so that they can interact with the world. And, and far too many times today, I feel that that Christians spend all their time in a church building with only Christian people, and, and they neglect the rest of the world, and they turn off their televisions, they throw them away, uh, they never go see a movie. And so when it actually comes to the point where they, they meet somebody who is a non-Christian, they have no point of reference, any way of ever connecting with that individual. And, and one of the things that was key for me is I, I wanted to find a way to, to develop relationships with people regardless of their faith. And uh, I had a passion for Lost, and, and I went out and started podcasting. And, and I, I, think that's, I think that's a critical thing for the church to, to wake up and, and do today is, is to, to get out and see what the most popular trends in culture are, not completely accept it in such a way that it might cause you to fall away. But, uh, but like, like you even said before, if you're strong in your faith, uh, you know, something that just pushes you to the edge of asking questions about what you believe, uh, it shouldn't it shouldn't really rock your world. And if it does, then, then perhaps you you need to, to be thinking about getting a little stronger in your own faith before you go start spreading it. So I think you're doing a great job. I think it's important to be uh, out in the world meeting people and, and investing in lives with relationships with people and actually meeting them where they are. So I think your book does that, and, and it does it great. So congratulations. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, well, let's all, can we have a group hug real quick? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> sure. An electronic <laughs> hug. A hug. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, quit rubbing my neck. Um, I just said hug. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something you you said there, Cliff, uh, reminded me of a part of Christian's book. Um, you know the the need for people of faith to not close themselves off and and uh, get out into the world and and meet people. Um, there's this is a quote from Christian's book in the conclusion, and it's found on page 113. 
Um, while some decry the increasing secularization of the modern world, extended philosophical and theological metaphors such as lost provide a unique opportunity to engage in thoughtful, rich dialogue about some of life's most important questions. Whereas a cynical society accuses the institution of church for clinging to an ivory tower mentality, we are called in the Christian tradition to remain in the world, yet not entirely of it. Our responsibility is not to d transcend the secular, but rather to engage it. And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, so, you know, and it, it's interesting, yeah, if I could just interject one thing, with, with the new book that my wife and I just completed, uh, we did a lot of online research. We actually surveyed over 750 young adults. And the biggest criticisms that we saw of, of Christians in particular were that we were uh, judgmental, that we were hypocrites, uh, and you know that we we had a habit of not practicing what we what we say, and that you know we just didn't seem to be connected, you know, to the relevant you know uh, world around us. That we we were kind of just isolated, and so those are the exact same things that we need to address. And it's not for me. It's not about getting people to come around to my way of thinking as much as it is just to get people to think. Period. So right. I think that that's that's what's really important. Yeah. All right, so let's transition to speaking more specifically about about lost. Um, now we've uh, put together some some notes here of some topics to talk about, and we don't have to stick uh, strictly to it. But uh, just to kind of go through, um, the first thing on the list here is uh, faith promoting miracles. There's been a another a number of these on the show. Um, starting most dramatically with the pilot and and Locke's whole you know uh, wheelchair thing and, and now he can walk. For me, I, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts too. But that was one of the things that first really brought me into the show when when that whole Locke episode, you know, it starts with him staring at his foot and whatnot, and and you know, and you find out what happened. That that was for me like, whoa! I've got to watch this show. This is really cool. And uh, and personally, I love how they haven't, um, you know, it's they make it clear how how Locke feels about it. For him, it's a total faith-building thing. It's a miracle, and he's not necessarily like religious uh, specifically, you know, but it's very much a spiritual faith-building thing for him. And and uh, other people in the show have other other viewpoints. But I, I like how the writers of the show haven't really made it, um, well, preachy, I guess. You know, they haven't acted like they're really trying to convert the, the viewers or whatever. It's just this thing that happens, and they kind of leave it up to uh, everyone's own opinion about about what it means. Um, you all have, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, this this is Christian. I, I, I think... One of the one of the interesting things about most interesting things about the show to me is the whole concept of how they address faith and how uh, you know people's purpose ties into that and 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 how people's faith uh, how their faith is affected by by things that happen on the island. One of one of the interesting contrasts I'd point out and I mentioned in the book is the uh, the faith of uh, Rose versus the faith of Locke. Uh, and you know, obviously, yeah, Locks is much more eclectic and, and kind of mystical. It seems like, but also one of the things I've found most interesting is that his faith tends to be contingent on on what happens to him, you know, in in the, on the island. Like if something 
uh, like when he, when he when he starts to believe that the uh, that entering the code in the in the computer doesn't really mean anything anymore, all of a sudden his entire faith is kind of like constructed by a house of cards, and it starts mm-hmm. to kind of crumble around him, and then it's rebuilt again, and then he struggles again. Whereas Rose is one of these people who it really doesn't matter what's going on around her; she just is faithful, you know, consistently regardless of outcome. And that's that's two different takes on faith. And then you've got like Jack, who can be confronted with something that everybody around him is calling a miracle when this, you know, when he, quote unquote, fixes his wife, his future wife, uh, you know, he's such a pragmatic that he just sees everything as, uh, as, uh, as just happenstance or, or coincidence or what have you. Although he starts to play with the idea of maybe this really is a miracle. And then he tries again with this, this, you know, the second surgery and the guy dies and it, it kind of re solidifies for him that uh, it's all bunk. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he seems to kind of, Jack seems to kind of go back and forth, you know, I mean, you have, uh, um, I think by the time he, I'm, I'm talking specifically about his flashbacks, you know, when he did the whole thing with healing his, his wife and whatnot, um, that was a real spiritual moment, I think, for him and his life. And then the way that that all turned out, you know, his, um, I think he had lost his faith by the time that he got to the island, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting because he's also, you know, if if you want to see it this way, you could see him as the as the Christ figure on the island. You know, he's healing the sick and he's bringing people back to life and all this. Yet he he doesn't connect it to uh, to a matter of faith at this point. It, it seems to be a lost faith. That, you know, by the time he gets to the island, like you said, right? Even even though you have uh, um, Henry Gale or Benjamin Linus. Uh, saying that the reason that Jack is on the island was because of a gift from God, you know. That was another really overt uh, reference to religion when he, he asked, do you believe in God? And, well, you know, two days after I found out I have a tumor, God dropped a surgeon out of the sky or whatever he said. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, no I, I thought that was really interesting um, because, you know, he, here he's, uh, he's telling Jack, two days. Uh, this is a quote from the show, two days after I found out that I had a fatal tumor on my spine, a spinal surgeon fell out of the sky. And if that's not proof of God, I don't know what is. And for, for a minute there, you know, as I'm watching that episode, I'm thinking, wow, that's really interesting because, you know, here we don't really, we, we, up, to, up until this point, we haven't really seen the others as being really religious people. And and then the more I was thinking about it, as I was kind of reflecting on previous episodes, I remembered when he when he was um, captured by the others and was being held in, in the hatch, he told Locke, and this is another quote from the show, God doesn't know how long we've been here, John. He can't see this island any better than the rest of the world can. So right. it, it, it almost, it, it's, it's like Ben, um, either he... He kind of uses religion to play other people. Uh, you know, it's it's really hard to tell what his perspective is on religion. Right. And I, I, I think that's kind of a fascinating thing, too. One of the things that I thought of when you quoted uh, Ben, when he said, you know, if that's not proof of, that God exists, then I don't know what is. And and, and immediately upon hearing that, it, it, it flashes my mind, uh, Mr. Echo talking to Locke, don't... don't uh, don't uh, misconceive fate for coincidence, and 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 so basically you have you have all these different themes of, you know, it, it, I I think what the writers of the show 
are 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 doing is and Christian you mentioned it earlier they're not telling you what to believe they're giving you all aspects of different viewpoints and so you got Ben who you know whether he believes what he's saying or not or is using it for his own advantage they they're at least promoting this idea that some Christians have that oh my goodness if if this is a definite sign from god this you know the fact that that I have this issue, this person is now here, that is definitely the work of God and, and a direct answer to my prayers. And then, of course, you've got Mr. Echo saying, listen, you know, don't, 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 don't equate everything you know, and attribute everything to God. Sometimes it's, it's just coincidence. I think that's a, a really good point because uh, as soon as you st- – well, it kind of raises the age-old question that, that – that, well, not age-old, but you know, the, this long-standing question that was raised by Albert Einstein, which is, uh, does God play chess? Uh, you know, is God directly involved in the, in the activities of the – the day-to-day activities of the world, or, or, or was it more of an impetus, a creative impetus that God thinks started and is more of a passive observer of, of life? Uh, because one of the one of the issues you have to deal with is once you start saying, well, God did this great thing for me, answered these prayers, then you also have to answer, well, then why does uh, why do we have starving children? Why do we have earthquakes and floods and things like that? Uh, so it's it's a real challenging thing to start to to start investigating the the role of God and the degree to which God is involved in in daily life. I think. Yeah, and, well, and that's what that's what I love like about Lost is. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that that's what I love about Lost is, is is that they they don't come down on any one side, and and so many people when I told them you know hey I, I'm spending you know six hours a week uh, researching Lost so that I can podcast about it people are like Cliff you're totally wasting your life away what are you doing it's like <laughs> no you don't understand they're 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 actually introducing thought provoking concepts that people in the church today don't even think about. I mean, right. you're not even getting some of this stuff in Sunday school. And, and here I'm watching a secular television show where one minute I'm, I'm watching uh, Sawyer and Anna Lucia do things that they shouldn't be doing on television. But at the same time, in, in other episodes, you're, at, you're actually being faced with, you know, what is baptism all about? You know, was Jesus the Son of God? I mean, these things are actually drawn out in this television show, and it's done in a way that, hey, we're not telling you what to believe. In fact, they even went to John Locke and said, what do you believe about baptism? And he's like, well, I, I don't know much, but this is what I've always thought about it. And and I just love how they, they're not saying this is what it is. But in the same way, it it begs it begs the person viewing to ask those questions for themselves. And that is what I think is necessary uh, out there. And, and I can't believe it, but to be honest, I think that Lost is a great Christian evangelistic uh, uh, tool. Well, I, for me, I think um, I, I agree with you, Cliff. But I, you know, also because they're they're not taking a solid stance um, on one belief or another, I think anyone of any faith could could get things out of it. You know, and maybe maybe it's just my own personal bias, but it does seem like there have been more. Christian references than than other faiths. I might be wrong about that. I haven't told it to go all up, but but they aren't. Yeah, they're not. You know, they're not preaching a particular point of view. So I think anybody, no matter what perspective you're coming from, 
to get some good philosophical questions to to ponder about, and I think that's a you know one of the main focuses of your your book, Christian. Well, um, yeah, and I think you're I think you're right that they they pull in a lot of very ecumenical references, but at the same time, yeah, I do think there is more of a Christian slant, and and you know that it stands to reason with the Western audience, you know, that is uh, that's still predominantly uh, Christian based uh, in their thinking. Uh, from my perspective as a, as a Protestant, I, I see a lot more uh, Catholic references, you know, specifically with Echo and uh, and and folks like that. I, just many of the questions that are raised are, are less familiar to me, and I've had to go kind of look at those, and, and uh, I find them more as uh, like the baptism with baby Aaron and things like that. That's that's the kind of a thing that's more uh, more uh, more common with the Catholic faith than with the Protestant. So, right. yeah. Um, um, you have uh, Charlie and Echo both Catholic, and if I'm not mistaken, I think um, Rose was Catholic also, right? Am I wrong about that? I, I don't know if they've actually come out and said that. She, she's obviously, well, she seems to be, based on the way she prays and things like that, a Christian. Uh, did she have a cross necklace? I don't really yeah. remember. She um, had a cross, and I don't know if it was a, a rosary or not, but it, it, it just seemed, it seemed Catholic to me, but I don't think they came out and said uh, specifically, but however, there there have been uh, obviously we do have some characters who are obviously Catholic. Um, you know, Echo is is uh, for the most part Catholic in his beliefs. There are a couple of things that that he said in different episodes that indicate that he's not completely a hundred percent in line with Catholic doctrine. But you also you know he's obviously pretending to be a Catholic priest, which. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You kind of take that either way, that either he believes in Catholicism or he thinks, he, or he doesn't, and he's just kind of uh, playing that as a role. Or, um, you know, but there's also Charlie and Claire. Um, they all obviously accept Catholicism because, uh, you know, Charlie's having these dreams about uh, about Aaron being baptized and that there's some necessity for it, and that's, you know, that's predominantly a Catholic belief. And, uh, and of course, Claire, um, she chooses to accept um, Echo's um, Catholic baptism, um, and uh, and also chooses to accept that for for her son Aaron too. Yeah. So, um, Clint, I like I liked what you said about how a lot of the thought provoking questions that the show is doing are, are things that you don't even hear about in uh, Sunday school, um, and and I think you're right. Uh, uh, the show. Um, it does a great job taking things that, um, well, for lack of a better word, miracles, you know, or just supernatural things that happen and, and have you, you know, have a group of people and see how the range of reactions uh, differ to it, you know. Right. So, so like the, the plane falls out of the sky, there should not have been survivors, but there are survivors. So is this uh, a miracle from God or is this some – you know, is there some wacky science that we haven't heard about that, you know, that, so that, you know, did Dharma plan all this or, or, or what, you know, and that's, that's the kind of thing that um, two different people can look at the same event and get a completely different uh, takeaway from it. And so I think that really teaches a lot about the nature of faith. There's, there's a big danger in basing your faith solely on what you see, you know, on, on miracles and you know, oh God, please show me a sign. If if you show me a sign, then I'll believe. You know, there's right. there's a there's a danger in that because 
you know, God can show you different things, and depending on where you're at or you know, who you're with, you know, you might take it in a completely different way, or or God might be showing you a sign and you don't even realize it because you know be, because the, your faith isn't there. And I think that's the main the main difference, you know, between Locke and Jack. If if Locke has faith and Jack doesn't have faith, faith, then you can show Jack all the miracles you want, and it's still not going to be mean anything to him. Which can I share something with you guys? Yeah, sure, it goes but, right along with that. Um, and and you guys, I mean, forgive me if if you already know this, but uh, it was a new revelation to me after watching the DVD season two uh, extra on that episode, Man of Science, Man of Faith. Uh, I went through all of season two thinking that John Locke is the man of faith and Jack is the man of science. That is completely incorrect from the writer's standpoint of what they tried to portray in that episode. Man of Science, Man of Faith was a Jack Shepard-centric episode. And John Locke has nothing to do with that title. And what they said is that basically what you have is this guy who is a man of science, a man of reason, and there must be a practical reason for everything. But what you have is you have a metamorphosis of a man who doesn't believe in miracles uh, at the beginning of the episode, but by the end of the episode, he begins his journey to becoming a man of faith. Right. Interesting. <clears throat> I did not know that, that that title meant Jack Shepard is a man of science, but he's also struggling with this idea of being a man of faith at the same time. And I think that that's what we consistently see portrayed through all of of laws, I mean, from the very beginning. And so he definitely, and, and it's it's funny to me now, because now, you know, it, it's not so much Locke has faith and Jack doesn't, it's just that they approach their faith differently. And then that leads me back to what Christian just said about Echo. Um, you know, many of us just automatically assume Echo was was pretending to be a priest. And I will say that, that, that there's nobody that will ever be able to give us a definitive answer on that. And I think that was done on purpose. And I believe that I sometimes can very much um, uh, uh, relate to, or, what, yeah, the word, I, I, the word's escaping me, but I can uh, empathize with, with um, Mr. Echo in that sometimes involved in, when I'm involved in ministry, it's like, the, Echo's brother Yemi says, "Listen, if I sign these papers, that doesn't make you a priest, you know." And, and the right. truth is, is, is that the priest is a matter of being a priest and being set apart uh, for God's purpose. That that is something that's a matter of the heart, a matter of faith. And and the fact is, is I believe that when Charlie asked him that question, "So are you a priest?" If he would have been asked that after he signed those papers and before uh, he dealt through some of the issues that he had. The answer to his question would be no, but if if somebody if he was really uh, genuine with somebody, somebody he felt comfortable enough to say no, I'm not really a priest. But when he said yes to Charlie, in all in my, in my own personal take on it, in my own personal look at uh, at Mr. Echo, I believe he was truly 100% a priest because it was no longer about a paper; it was about the fact that he had decided that hey, I am trying. To, to live my faith out. Now, obviously, he struggled from it, from every single flashback that we saw, and even he even struggled with repentance and 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 everything all the way up to the very mo last moment of his life. And he says, "I will not repent." 
but but I think that we all struggle with that, and I think that that that's something you know. It's, so the question, if somebody's going to say, well, Mr. Echo's pretending to be a priest, well, somebody could just as easily say Cliff is pretending to be a Christian. Right. Mm. I think I think that's right. Yeah. It's it's a matter of whether or not the external rituals and licensures and all of that are more important than uh, personal transformation, you know, and a personal commitment, uh, you know, like you said. So. And, and and I don't think that that Echo's shortcomings uh, in his in 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 the way that he approached life. I mean, he obviously did some horrible things that that externally say this guy is definitely a sinner. There's no there's no way that he could live with this on his conscience and and to continually think that he does not need to repent. You know, but that's our own judgment. And and when it comes down to it, no, no none of us will ever know. If he was a man of God, you know it, that that was right. between him and God, and, and so I, I think that that debate is a great debate to have, and, I, and I'm glad that that Lost leaves it open. You know, was he a priest? And, and it, the majority of people that I come across say no, he was pretending. But but the the thing is, I'll I'll, I'll forever say, you know, well, do you think that I'm a Christian? And they can sit there and listen to all the things that I say, and and a majority of people would probably say, well, yeah, close to Christian. It's like you know, I still struggle. I I do things on purpose that I know I shouldn't do from time to time, and I struggle with that. And sometimes I struggle with repenting and 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 turning my life around. But you know, it, it's a day by day thing, and I think that that's what Mr. Echo faced. And the fact that he didn't, you know, wrap things up before his life, you know, his last few moments, you know, that that also introduces a lot of other questions about our faith and and where does God's judgment stand upon us? So. I, I just am totally enthralled in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are some good thoughts. Um, now, I have a question. Um, you know, the producers um, have said that that all of the, the wacky things going on on the island will be able to ex- be have an, a simple explanation. I don't have the uh, exact quote, but they led us to believe that things like the smoke monster and and other things that were going on, that there would be a logical scientific explanation for things. So, so do you all think that um, when? So I'm, I'm leading up to where where is the show going? You know, when when it all wraps up and it's and it's all over, are we going to find out that um, that it was all like, for example, Dharma caused the plane crash, Dharma made the bus hit that guy you know, all this stuff, and are they going to like, explain everything away so that it all is just, you know, normal stuff, or are they going to leave it open-ended and and uh, and keep the, the religious overtones in there? Where do you think this is leading in the show? Well, per- personally, I, I think that they're going to leave quite a bit of that open-ended, um, j- just because it kind of uh, adds to the mystery of the show to not have everything answered. Um, you, you know, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to go back and, and tell us specifically that, uh, that uh, what, what was his name, um, Juliet's ex-husband, that he, you know, that right. he got hit by a bus because of, uh, of the recruiter people. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to kind of leave a lot of things um, throughout the show to our imagination when, when the end of the show finally comes. Um, and, uh, and really, I think that, you know, this this whole mysterious aspect to Lost is one of the reasons that that so many people love the show because they don't answer every question and it it make it makes you think. 
and you always hope that, oh, I would hope they'll answer this question or, or that one. Um, as, as far as um, whether the show is going to have a definitive answer as far as, you know, that explains the entirety of everything, um, I, I, I'm kind of leaning to they, they probably won't do that just because, you know, I, I, I think it's more mysterious to kind of leave a lot of, even some of the big aspects perhaps of the show kind of somewhat unanswered. Um, I, I obviously don't have any insights on how exactly they're planning to end the show, but I, that's that's my hope. I, I hope that they're going to leave a lot of things kind of out there for for your judgment, but but that they'll end the show with with just a big bomb of information that explains a lot of things, but not everything. Yeah, yeah and I, you know, I, I think uh, yeah, they've uh, the creators have 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 sort of a, a Gordian knot of a story here at this point. You know, I mean, it would be, I think, in order to create some universal thing or some some unifying dynamic that tied everything together would almost be an insult to our collective intelligence. Um, you know, that it's, oh, it was that simple. Well, geez, you know, why, why didn't I think of that kind of thing? But, uh, you know, I think one of the, one of the Things, of course, the expectations for the show are to the point that I don't. They're, they're, no matter what they did at this point, some people would just be annoyed by it. You know, they wouldn't be happy. But uh, I, I do think that uh, you know those people who are s- uh, strictly looking for answers in the show are going to be frustrated in the end because I think the uh, as we've kind of been discussing here, uh, as evidenced by the show so far, that the that the creators are more interested in raising questions than answering them. And right. so I, the I boy, think people who are looking, true. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I, I get a little tired of how many questions and plot points they leave completely untouched and, and move on. But you know, yeah. I'll, I'll save I'll save my rants for later. <laughs> <laughs> faith I faith have, issues, uh, I can see them. You know, I can I can understand leaving those open ended. But there's a, a lot of plot points I wish they would just go ahead and tie up already. You know. Yeah, it's kind of hard to even keep track of them all sometimes. <laughs> There are two things. things. One of the things is is uh, you. It's it's funny that you bring in the bus, and I don't know if you guys uh, have have heard this, but I checked out some forums as I was doing research for uh, my pre-show production, and one of the you know obviously in the most recent episode uh, they made it a point to show us Ben's lips clear as day, basically begging us to find somebody we know that can read lips to come over and watch our DVR'd copy of Lost and tell us what Ben said. <laughs> I, I was thinking exactly that. <laughs> so, so basically, on the Fuselage.com uh, forum, there was a thread saying, please, rip, uh, lip readers, please come here, or whatever. <laughs> and there was somebody, that, and I don't know if it's a joke, and if, and if, if it is a joke, the guy's still brilliant. But he swears that he can read lips, and he, and he said, and it says, Ben said, and then he put in quotations, I was the one driving the bus. Wow! No way. <laughs> That's what, I, I'm just telling you what I read. I think it's. I, I think that it. I I hope that's what he said, and I hope that <laughs> in the future we get another flashback where we review that scene and actually hear what Juliet and Ben's conversation was. Those three minutes. It, it basically it'd be another three minute episode. So that would right. be totally awesome. And to answer driver. your question. Yeah, Ben the bus driver. So, and to answer your question, um, the I think the actual closer representation of what the producers of the show said is that we, not that we can explain everything 
with current modern un, you know understanding of things that we can uh, empirically prove if I'm using the right language there but but I think what their quote was is that we can use theoretic theoretical possibilities with with the questions and concepts that scientists are exploring to explain what's going on in loss and I think that nothing else speaks to that uh, more as far as they're hinting at the fact that they're starting to wrap up some of those overarching themes with the uh, most recent Easter egg of uh, a brief a brief history of time, which is mm-hmm. all about and a, a stripped down version of the you know the average Joe's average Joe come here read this and we're going to try to explain to you some of the vast black hole theory and 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 some of these theories. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to try to use some theory that people really have at least a, a, a following, people who actually believe a lot of this stuff. They don't understand it completely, but they, they there is at least some accept, acceptance in the scientific community that these things are theoretically possible. And I think that that's what they're going to do to try to wrap up some of this. Yeah. That's a good possibility. It'll be interesting to see. Now, I I, I haven't kept track. There was that discussion recently about them talking about planning out when it's going to end. Was there anything specific given? Like, did they say exactly how many seasons they're going to have or or anything like that? Not that I – the only thing I heard is that the creators were were leaning toward about 100 episodes that they wanted to do. I think it would be a lot better if they did 108 personally, but – yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's just me. Yeah, yeah that, would be, that would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, and the uh, interesting thing is that 100 episodes um, at the rate of episodes per season really puts them between episode, you know, between seasons four and five. They're, they would have like a, a season four and a half, or, or, or I mean like a season four and then like a half a season after that um, if they were going to hit exactly 100 episodes. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of, I, I don't, I have no idea how those talks recently with ABC turned out, but um, it'll be interesting to see how they do that, if they decide to just go the full five seasons, uh, or if they decide to pair it back to four seasons, or it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah. Um, All right, so another question. Do you, what is your thoughts about the others? Do you think they are a religion or a cult, or is it purely a science thing? I have a theory on that. I, I believe that they are somewhat religious. And, and now I don't know if it's any mainstream religion that we can think of, but what really made me think of it is the fact that they really had uh, a well-prepared funeral with the white garments. And we just watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy where um, there was a girl that was dying and her family was Amish, she wanted to, she wanted to go back to her family in the Amish community because she wanted to have a proper Amish funeral where she could be buried and and, and where everybody would wear white robes. Okay, so she would be buried in white, and that just so I I think that 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 burial scene for Colleen that funeral I think that that hinted to me of somewhat of a more religious group whereas if you look at the losties collectively obviously they didn't have a, a you know the super walmart that jay and jack talk about to go get white robes but i mean they kind of just 
you know, even even though they had some people that there were Catholic, they didn't even pull off a a proper funeral for most of their people. So I think they're somewhat religious, and I think that they're trying to possibly create some kind of utopian society to help do it, almost as the Shakers, if you're familiar with them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I look at it as sort of a, you know, one of the things I think we have to re, sort of reorient ourselves with this is, uh, you know, we talk about like man of science, man of faith. Uh, I don't think it has to be an either or. Uh, I think we have to consider it more as a both and concept because a lot of people can, uh, like uh, I talk about in my book, people like Thomas Aquinas who are scientists but are also very, uh, very centered on their faith. I think that that you know my my take on it is with the you know bringing in the Valenzetti equation uh, and everything that the the really the the Dharma project is is intent on creating some sort of utopian post-apocalyptic survivalist uh, group and that this is and and I think in order to believe in a utopian society concept period you have to be somewhat uh, theologically minded uh, you or, know the very or maybe just really brainwashed. <laughs> well, yeah, that that may be too, because yeah, now we've got the whole Clockwork Orange uh, scene that took place in the in the most recent yeah. episode, and uh, and so yeah, it, it could be that 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 they're just being uh, manipulated as well. But uh, you know, the idea also of that you know that Dharma uh, suggests now that that it's involved with heuristic studies, meaning that the uh, that the student involved in whatever learning system actually learns through personal experience and. Discovery, uh, you know that the uh, that these these folks are actually sort of evolving into what they're going to become through their experiences on the island themselves, possibly. Yeah. You know, my I I had Stephanie came down here, my wife, and she she heard my last statement, and uh, we have a Shaker village uh, here in Lexington, Kentucky, and she just brought she goes, isn't isn't Shakers did you know cuz we we go down there to visit the shaker religion basically is a religion it, it, you know the you kind of think quaker and amish because of you know quaker and shaker uh, are very much uh, sound alike but anyway shakers are a religious group that do not forsake new technology and so they they embrace new technology but one of the things that the that is unique to the shakers is that oh, uh, yeah. when you come when you come into their community as husband and wife, you actually separate and become brother and sister, and so therefore you cannot procreate. And now, and and of course, the problem with the Shakers today is there's only three of them left because the only way they can add people to their society is by bringing children in and families in, and and adding that way. Hmm. Oh, I don't know why I never thought about that. I grew up in Kentucky. I've been to Shaker Town before, and I, I know that whole story, and it never even occurred to me that, that there's a, I have to give credit to Stephanie Ravenscraft, my wife, because she just said that. <laughs> Very that's nice. an excellent nice. theory. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely true. Uh, the the Shakers are, you know, their their whole society is real similar to the other kind of Puritan societies that you think of, but uh, um, but yeah, they didn't that they would totally totally would abstain from any kind of uh, sexual relationship and they all kind of died out. And, and I believe they were kind of utopian minded, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, in in fact they they didn't they made their own hospital, they made their own I mean everything was in their community. So they they basically they didn't completely cut themselves off from the outside world completely, 
but they withdrew from it. I mean, the par- oh my gosh, the parallels are amazing here. I, well, I'm, I'm going to have to go and research this. Yeah, I'm going to have to go Wikipedia that and uh, <laughs> do some research. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, hmm. it, and so in the same way, you know, they were would have been very interested to get new recruits in and and children and that kind of thing to, to build up a society. Of course, that still doesn't explain why why uh, they would want a, a geneticist, or I mean, oh, a, a, yes. sorry, a fertility doctor. Yes, it does. <laughs> because because um, shakers would want to have children but not have sex. So why is it so important in not in Portland to say, hey, is it true that you were enabled, that you were able to impregnate a male mouse? Or whatever, a male rat, or whatever she right. said, or he said, a field mouse, so yeah, if, a field mouse. So, so if if Ben and Juliet, let's just say they, well, actually they weren't married, but let's just say if people come in and they're, if they're married, they have to live as brother and sister, and they and they abstain from all sexual contact, which is why Carl and Alex's race, relationship is forbidden, going on this theory. Then basically, what that means is that. Well, they they don't want to have these sexual relationships. Uh, oh, never mind. It's all blown out of the water because of Colleen and Pickett. I'm sorry, but anyway, uh. if, if, if if you take <laughs> well, away the Colleen and Pickett situation, or maybe they were husband and wife and they separated. But anyway, the idea was that Juliet could come and impregnate the women without having them have sexual intercourse that would violate their their situation there, so that they right. could uh, procreate. So anyway, that it's an idea. Interesting. Yeah, that that's very interesting. Hmm, we're gonna have to do some more research. <laughs> that's cool stuff. I don't know why I never thought of that before. Josh, have you been awful quiet? Did you have any any thoughts about that whole thing? Well, it, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought a whole lot about um, specifically the others not engaging in intercourse. <laughs> 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 something that really hadn't crossed my mind watching the show, but yeah, I, I guess it doesn't make sense in a way. Um, some, somebody recently, uh, after seeing the last episode, pointed out, um, you know, Ben supposedly told Juliet, okay, you can go home now after this is over. Um, and his his theory that he was telling me was that, uh, was that Jack was going to take over um, and be the new doctor, you know, that working with the others. But the the thing that really is interesting to me about that is that Juliet is a completely different type of doctor. She's a fertility doctor. And, and you know, Jack obviously doesn't really seem to have any training in anything outside of surgery. He doesn't know anesthesiology, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but um, a, a, anyway, I just, I I really think it's strange, if it's true that they're really going to let Juliet go, I think it's very strange because she seemed to be such an integral part of their of their society, you know. Assuming that that I mean, obviously they they went to all the trouble to recruit her to to get her to this island, and now they're just going to let her go. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's really I don't know. There's just something interesting about that. I wonder if maybe there's connections with Walt, because a lot of people were thinking that Walt had some big thing to do with whatever the other's overarching plan is. Maybe they got some information from Walt or from his DNA or who knows, whatever they did with him. Um, 
they, you know, they told Michael, they indicated that they got more than they bargained for. Um, so did that have anything to do with why they're deciding to let Juliet go? I have no idea. There's just so many things that are just totally open-ended at this point. But I think it's really fascinating that Ben told Juliet that they were going to let her go. Now, on the other hand, Ben also said to Jack, yeah, well, well, I'll take you there. I'll take you home. So, yeah, well, it doesn't really look like that's going to happen. Right. <laughs> so who knows? Everything's just kind of open-ended. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we've uh, we've been at this for about an hour, so I think this is a good point to wrap it up. Um, so closing thoughts. Let's, uh, let's start with Cliff. I'll I tell you what, I think I've already spoke in quite more than I needed to. So I'll just say thank you for allowing me uh, to be a part of this conversation. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Christian, uh, congratulations on your book, and, and I hope that it continues to sell well and uh, provokes a lot of people to, to great thoughts. Great, thanks. Right. Uh, any closing thoughts from Josh? Um, just the same thing. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody for participating. And uh, if if you haven't um, read Christian's book and it sounds interesting to you, then go and check it out. Yeah, I would like to third that. This has been a lot of fun. And um, so, uh, Christian, why don't you give some closing thoughts, and then we'll go through and do a big plug of everybody's stuff and uh, wrap it up. Well, yeah, I really appreciate this, uh, you know, just an opportunity to sit around and talk about, uh, you know, theology in this sort of a context is really uh, refreshing to me. I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest misperceptions that people get about, uh, uh, you know, about modern faith, particularly with Christianity, is that all we do is sit around and thump each other on the head with Bibles and quote scripture at each other and try to prove that we're right. And believe it or not, there are actually some of us out there who are interested in contemporary culture, who are interested in uh, differences of views, and who aren't intent on just being right. Uh, so, you know, I think that this kind of stuff is very constructive. And, uh, you know, with all the divisiveness and, and hypocrisy and nonsense that we hear about religion these days, you know, it's just uh, refreshing to sit down and talk in a non-threatening way about something that's interesting to all of us. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. All right, so um, final plugs here. Um, Josh, uh, won't you say your web address? Sure. Um, well, again, you can you can check out my blog, um, and you can also find podcast uh, links there. It's at the Lostmeister. That's T H E L O S T M E I S T E R dot blogspot dot com, and you can. And all kinds of information there. I, I try to um, cover a lot of different topics related to loss, um, and I, I try to include a lot of commentary and observations and things like that that I haven't seen elsewhere too. So, um, if if you want a unique perspective on loss, check out my blog or my podcast. All right, Cliff. Uh, yes, everything that I do pertaining to podcasting can be found at Generally Speaking Podcast. Dot com, And I really want to encourage more than anything else to definitely, if you've never participated in a live podcast, a uh, live recording, live show, kind of like the three of us are, or the four of us are doing here, uh, every Friday night at 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we are doing a live Lost podcast, and uh, we had over 50 people join us 
uh, last night, and I'm sure we'll have more than 150 next week, and hopefully you'll be one of them. When you go to generallyspeakingpodcast.com, there's a link on the right-hand side that says GSPN Live Shows. Click on that. It will explain how you can participate live. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I'm excited about those those live shows. Um, Cliff and I both use the same service that's TalkShoe to uh, to do the live shows, and um, I'm also holding live shows, and mine will be directly after the episode airs for the uh, for East and West Coast American people. So, if you're interested in staying up late, then right after the show ends, you can uh, you can hop on to to my last chat and. Uh, because you know Cliff's show won't be out till uh, you know later that night or whatever, so you can uh, join in the live talk and then uh, and then hit the podcasts after that. And um, so yeah, so same service, same same instructions to get connected and stuff. But mine mine will be Wednesday night and closes on Friday. Um, and my website is crankyfanatic.com for all my lost goodness. And if you're also a fan of heroes, you can check out crankyhero.com. All right, uh, and we'll end with uh, Christian here. So where can people buy your book, and uh, what's your website? Well, they can uh, they can get the book at uh, Amazon.com. They can put my name, Christian Pyatt, in, or the title of the book, Lost, A Search for Meaning, and they can pull it up on Amazon. They can also get it at uh, chalicepress.com. I believe it's available on borders.com, barnesandnoble.com, and you can order it uh, pretty much in any major bookstore, I believe all the Cokesbury bookstores uh, carry it in the store. Uh, and if you're still not quite sure whether or not it's something you're interested in checking out, I encourage people to go to my website, which is christianpyatt.com, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-P-I-A-T-T.com. You can actually download the introduction and first chapter for free off of there. Uh, you can also check out my blog where I get where I have uh, commentary about the show as well as all my columns from the magazines and newspapers. Uh, you can leave me feedback, and you can even check out some of the research that we did for our new book, uh, My Space to Sacred Space, which will be coming out this summer. Cool. Sounds great. Th- thanks a lot, guys. And uh, good night to everybody out there, and I uh, um, hope to – have you join in with us later as we continue the podcast with about this awesome show. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Namaste. <laughs>